We are in our series on the Ten Commandments. We're up to the Third Commandment. Uh, Before we uh, get into this, I do want to remind you, John Spence is on the mission field, and he is in Africa in the Gambia, administering over there. Let's take a minute to pray for John while he's over there. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with John and the medical team that is there, that you would use them, that you would use them to spread the fame of your great name in that place, that many would hear the name of Jesus. Use them, use all their skills and talents and abilities uh, in that place, that it may resound to the fame of your name. In that name we ask, amen. Amen. We are in the third commandment, Exodus chapter 20, and uh, so let me read for you. I'm going to read also verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that is the law of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we need it. We need to be reminded what makes you so great. We need the law. We need to be reminded that the law is for our benefit, to bless us, to give us wisdom, to lead us to our Redeemer. Thank you that the commandments point us to our Redeemer. We need the redemption he offers. And so we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Some 25 years ago, an American pharmaceutical company uh, went looking for a name for their business. And it needed, of course, to be distinctive and easy to remember, something that would clearly brand the company and give it an identity in the marketplace. So they hired a branding company, companies that help you pick names and uh, to make sure that It'll be a good name, acceptable, and somebody else doesn't already own it. And they did a massive amount of research, and they came up with a name. It served them very well for many years. However, they had no way to know back then that the name they chose would today have a really negative effect on investors and on public relations. And... So recently, Isis Pharmaceuticals (laughs) discovered one of the great truths at the heart of our passage, and that's that names matter. Names matter. So today we're thinking about names and in the context of the third commandment. And this commandment says, as we just read, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And it was very interesting. One of the rules of studying the Bible, understanding it, is check out the different translations of a particular passage. And there's uh, dozens of translations in the English language. And most of the time, actually, they're all pretty similar. And the differences are more a matter of English grammar than of translation of a specific word. But occasionally you find a verse that all the translations are different. They vary a great deal. And this is one of those verses. For example, other translations of the third commandment read, As so, 
You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That's the NIV. You must not use the name of the Lord your God thoughtlessly, the New Century Version. You shall not make wrong use of the name of the Lord your God, the New English Bible. You shall not invoke the name of the Lord in vain, the Jerusalem Bible. And then we have some obvious, uh, some paraphrases of scripture. And uh, those are even more varied. Uh, this one says, No using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. That's the message. You are not to use my name for your own idle purposes, for the eternal will punish anyone who treats his name as anything less than sacred. And that's the voice. Those are both paraphrases. And of course, anything in the Old Testament that's as important as the Ten Commandments, you're wise to check the Jewish translations, uh, which read, you shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God. That's from the Jewish Publication Society. And that's sort of the as close to an official Jewish translation as there is. And this one is, you are not to use lightly the name of Adonai your God, because Adonai will not leave unpunished someone who uses his name lightly. And that's the complete Jewish Bible. So we have all kinds of variety in translation. But as I read those, they all point to the same issue. And that issue is one of the importance of God's name. All these versions say that how we handle God's name is a really big deal. And so when we hear someone use the names of God or Christ as obscenities or as an expression of anger or fear or frustration, we know immediately that they've not yet had a real glimpse of the majesty, holiness, and wonder of God. The first commandment tells us that we need to have the right God, the one living and true God. It's about the who of worship. The second commandment tells us to make sure we're really worshiping him and not some image or shadow of who he is, and it's about the how of worship. Now, the third commandment tells us that even his name is to be held in honor and reverence, and it's about the why of worship. Every time we utter God's name or even sing it, we're supposed to do so meaningfully. We shouldn't get into the habit of using the Lord's name frivolously or mechanically. And it should go without saying for those who claim to be followers of Christ that we shouldn't use it profanely. So why do you think God gave this commandment the number three spot on his top ten list of do's and don'ts? Why is his name so important? Quite simply, because every time we mention his name, we call to mind the divine being behind the name, the Lord God Almighty. And even if that thought only lasts for a fraction of a second, it's a thought that either honors or dishonors God. The Ten Commandments forbid certain things, and in so doing, they protect us. And the third commandment provides protection from profanity. Protection from profanity. Because profanity shows contempt for God's name. And to see what God thinks when we show contempt for his name, uh, we turn to the last book of the Old Testament. The book of Malachi the prophet. Malachi. 
And there we read in Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, which is actually Yahweh El Shaddai. To you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And they despised his name, not by what they said, but by what they did. It says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you and show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from uh, your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Far from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and you bring this as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So here in Malachi, God is calling Israel to task for even though sometimes they say the right thing, they're not doing the right thing. They're going through the motions. And they're assuming that's enough. They're giving blemished offerings and they're saying, no, it's fine. But God says that in so doing, they're despising his name. And the name of the Lord is to be great among those who know him and feared by those who don't. Either way, it shouldn't be despised. But isn't that how we most often hear the Lord's name used today? In a manner that speaks more of contempt then respect. I think there's three main ways we misuse the Lord's name, and each of these three, in their own way, show contempt for the Lord's name and reveal something about the people who use them. So pretty quickly, first we have the careless profanity of the uninformed. First type of person is the ignorant or uninformed. This is a person who's oblivious to what the Lord's revealed in the Bible, his inspired word, concerning the use of his name. Perhaps they're unchurched. Perhaps they haven't been taught from the Bible. They don't read the Bible. Perhaps they're churchgoers, but like the ancient Israelites, they're just going through the motions and not paying much attention to what's being said. Whatever the reason, they're not aware of the seriousness of what they're doing, and so they keep doing it. The second thing to watch out for is that cursing 
profanity of the uncontrolled. Some people profane God's name because they don't know any better. Others do so because they can't control their tongues. They know what the Bible says, but sometimes they lose control. They hit their thumb with a hammer. Someone cuts them off in traffic. The baby wakes up for the fourth time. They snap a tendon moving a refrigerator. And it just slips out. That last part, for those that don't know, is explaining that. And these folks usually know better, and they know they're wrong, and they feel bad about it. And the Bible openly acknowledges the difficulty of controlling our tongues, but teaches us that self-control is not impossible, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus taught us in Luke 6 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what he's saying is when the pressure's on, whatever is hidden in our hearts will come out our mouths. So if bitterness or anger or hatred or rebellion against God is inside, then that's what will come out in the form of cursing and profanity. So the only sure way to clean up our mouths is by cleaning up our heart. And the Bible promises the Holy Spirit can do that work. So that's the second thing. The third thing uh, to watch out for is what I'm calling the common profanity of the uncaring. This one is a little more difficult. It's hard to realize how common this kind of profanity has become. This person uh, is uncaring, who feels no remorse and flagrantly violating this commandment. These people don't know Christ except as a swear word. But they use the Lord's name that way so often they no longer even realize it. Uh, I was at Logan Airport uh, this week in Boston, and while I was waiting for my flight in the gate area there, uh, two guys came in and sat down near me, and they were both wearing earbuds, so they were talking kind of loud. And they were cursing loud and continuously. Every foul word there is. And everyone else sitting around got real uncomfortable. And there were several kids nearby. And a few folks got up and moved to the other end of the gate area. But nobody wanted to say anything to these two guys because they were huge. They were like pro football player size, like this and this. And, you know, just everybody's looking around like, not me, you know. And not only was the profanity just extreme, but the name of Jesus was used as a noun, a verb, an adjective, an exclamation point, and a note of surprise. And at one point, I just sat there and stared at him, knowing I was preaching on the third commandment today. (laughs) And I was struck by one of them could say the most foul thing imaginable, and the other would answer with the name of Jesus. So anything the first guy said, the second guy would answer with the name of Jesus. And it just went back and forth and on and on. And I realized they've taken Philippians 2.9, the name that is above every name, and made it common. They have no fear of God, and their language is like a flashing neon sign that says, I'm in charge of ruining my own life. And I was just struck by that. And I think they were completely oblivious, not just to their language, but how it was affecting everybody around them. 
Now, most of us can relate to a person who uses the Lord's name in a careless manner or in an uncontrolled outburst or many even in a common way. But our text today says that we are not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I looked up what it means, in vain. And it means in a way that's empty or useless or worthless. You know, I read a story this week about Bill Hybels. He's a pastor of a real big church near Chicago. And he grew up in a really strict Dutch Reformed household. And his father owned a produce company. And when he was in elementary school, his father would occasionally take him to work. And uh, now this company employed a lot of truck drivers and dock workers, men known for common and careless profanity. And Bill learned some new ways to talk about the Lord. And not too sure about all these new words, he tried some of them out in front of his older brother, Dan, and who seemed impressed. So Bill decided to impress the rest of his family, uh, so he tried out these new words at the dinner table. Except this time, Dan wasn't smiling. He was horror-stricken. And Bill looked around the table. He realized his sister was gasping for air. His mother started crying, and his father had grabbed him and was carrying him down the hall. And all the way down the hall, Bill was begging for mercy. Dad, I didn't know. Dan tricked me. He thought it was cool. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. It didn't help. And that day, Bill learned that common and careless profanity was unacceptable. And not knowing was not an excuse. Perhaps some of us have slipped into the habit of using the Lord's name in a careless, cursing, or common profanity. After all, you hear it all the time. You hear it at school, you hear it at work, you hear it in the neighborhood. And perhaps you didn't realize that this is a sin that God takes seriously. So seriously that in Leviticus 24, the penalty for this sin is death. If you have dishonored God's name in any of these ways, ask for his forgiveness, commit to being obedient to his word in this area. God does not want you to be uncaring or uncontrolled, and you're no longer uninformed. So what do you do instead? You move from profanity to praise. See, the Ten Commandments not only forbid certain things for our protection, they also require certain things that will benefit our lives, our families, our churches, our communities. And the benefit of the Third Commandment is one of provision, specifically the provision of praise. And to see how we should speak of the Lord, we turn to the Psalms. You can find that just about in the middle of your Bibles. If you open and it's Isaiah, go left. Um, but we're going to go near the end of the Psalms to Psalm 145 and a few verses there. And we read, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness 
and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. You see, all that I will declare, I will proclaim, I will praise, I will speak, I will tell. That's what should be coming out of our mouths. But honestly, you and I both know that's easier said than done. It's difficult to get rid of one habit without replacing it with another. We need to move from profanity to praise, but that takes a lot of work. And we know we need the Holy Spirit to carry that work out in our hearts. And we can support the work of the Spirit through the ordinary means of grace, reading the scriptures and worship and prayer and talking about spiritual things with family and friends because the more we fill our minds with the knowledge of God's holiness and majesty, the less likely we'll be able to profane his name. And I think the best way to start this process is by cultivating the habit of praise. I'm going to suggest three ways to do this. And the first is through the private praise of his attributes. The private praise of his attributes. A name implies a particular character. A person is known by their name and their attributes. And the attributes of God tell us all about God and all about his character. Quick trip through the Psalms teaches us about God's steadfast love, his amazing grace, that he's rich in mercy, he's wise beyond description. He is holy, good, just, and right, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when we pray, we need to uh, thank God for who he is. We need to thank God for all those attributes that enable us to honestly say, God is great, God is good. I know that's simple, but it's a great prayer. And when you pray, do you ever praise God as part of your prayer? Do you even know how? Begin by praising God for who he is. Thank him for all those attributes and those qualities and those characteristics that describe him and that are included in his name. And then thank him that he enables you to share some of those attributes in your own life. As he is loving, ask him to make you loving. As he is wise, ask him to make you wise. As he is slow to anger, ask him to make you slow to anger. Allow his attributes to guide your life, and that begins by privately praising our God for being God. Another way to cultivate this habit is through the personal praise of his authority. I'll give you an example. When, I was, uh, when our children were living at home, they're all grown and gone, but when they were all at home, sometimes I would ask my son Sam you know, to go get one of his brothers and sisters. And I'd, tell him, I'd say to him, Tell them dad said. Because if just Sam said, being the youngest, he's probably not going to get much of a response. But if Sam said that dad said, most likely they'll show up. Why? Because by using dad's name, he's using dad's authority. In a similar way, Jesus said in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. To pray in Jesus' name 
means to ask by the authority and power of the one who bears that name. And asking in Jesus' name also implies that we're under his authority and that we're asking in accordance with his will. So we need to develop our relationship with God by living under his authority and by praying in accordance with that authority and uh, praising him for that authority. And whether we do that privately or in a small group or publicly isn't as important. What's important is we do it personally, that we really mean it. You can't praise him for being the authority that you don't want to live under. You can't praise him for being the authority that you're not willing to live in accordance with his will. So you have to face this whole issue of the authority of God presented to us uh, through his son Jesus, given to us in his written word. So start by praying that God the Holy Spirit would enable you to recognize, accept, and live under the authority of God and his word. Third way to cultivate this habit is through the public praise of his actions the public praise of his actions. A name carries with it a person's reputation. If you use somebody's name, you think about the person behind the name and what they're like. If I mention Judas Iscariot or Benedict Arnold, certain strong negative images come to mind. These men's traitorous actions are so bad, their names have become linked to betrayal. On the other hand, the names of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln have become linked with honesty. The fact is, when your name is mentioned, it's your reputation that immediately comes to mind. And that reputation is earned by what you have or have not done. Same is true for God. His reputation is based upon the actions he's taken. If we go back to Psalm 145, sort of look at the second part of uh, each of those verses. And speaking about God, it mentions your mighty acts, the glorious splendor of your majesty, your wondrous works, the might of your awesome deeds, your greatness, the fame of your abundant goodness, your righteousness, the glory of your kingdom, your power, your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. We not only need to praise God for who he is, but also for what he's done. He has created us, he has redeemed us, he sustains us by his providence. And we need to say so, publicly, both in prayer and conversation. But the name of God also signifies more than his actions in general, but also his saving work in particular. In Psalm 106, we're told God saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. In Psalm 54, the psalmist prays, Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Proverbs 18.10, we learn, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and he is safe. The name of God is shorthand, not just for his being, glorious and incomprehensible and worthy of all praise, it's also shorthand for his mighty works and especially for his saving work, his redeeming, rescuing work. He is known by his name among the people whom he has saved. And these two great themes, the being of God and the saving work of God, 
come together wonderfully in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. His own name, the name Jesus, uh, means, according to Matthew one twenty one, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh, the God who saves. That's his name. That's what Jesus means. Similarly, in uh, the book of Romans, the apostle Paul quotes from the prophet Joel. And Joel 2 says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there the Lord, in the prophecy of Joel, is the word Yahweh. It's the divine name that we get in Exodus 3 and 6. The God who said, I am. And whoever calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. But now the Apostle Paul uses that same verse as a reference to Jesus. In Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see what Paul's saying, how he's thinking? The name of God, the name Yahweh, belongs to the Lord Jesus as well. You need to understand how powerful this name is. If we turn to the book of Acts, my most favorite of passages... We read of the Apostle Paul healing the lame man at the temple gate in Acts chapter 3. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The older version says Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And the text tells us. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And if you read further on, it says he started leaping and dancing and shouting praise to the Lord and basically made a big spectacle of himself, so much so that everybody noticed. And so the next day, that apparently didn't go over well with the rulers and elders and scribes and priests, so they hauled Peter and John in front of them. And so the next day, uh, we read in Acts 4, when they had set them in the midst of them, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. He is the God who saves his people from their sins, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
by this name, the name Jesus. Now let's suppose that uh, one Sunday I got up here and at the beginning of the sermon I said, uh, friends, I think this will be one of the most important messages I'll ever give. I actually think that every Sunday, but this sermon will touch on the subjects that are closest to my heart. I want to share with you the top six prayer concerns of my life. What would you do? Well, if you heard me say that and you sensed that I was uh, sincere, how would you respond? Perhaps you'd write down those top six prayer concerns and make them part of your prayer life too. Now let's imagine that it wasn't me, but that it was Christ himself who stood before you. And furthermore, let's suppose he wanted to share uh, his top six prayer concerns with you. Do you have any doubts about how you would respond when he would say, please listen carefully? I don't think so. You'd grab a pen to write them down. You'd listen as carefully as you could because our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of sinners, was going to share the six greatest concerns of his heart with you. It's an incredible honor. Well, that imaginary situation closely mirrors the circumstances surrounding Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he responded by giving them a model prayer and a glimpse into his major prayer concerns. And it's not by accident that the Lord's Prayer contains six petitions, or the top six prayer concerns of Christ our Lord. Think about how the Lord's Prayer begins. The Westminster Shorter Catechism addresses this in question 100, which asks, what does the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? And the answer is, the preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is, our Father who art in heaven, teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father able and ready to help us that we should pray with and for others. That's the beginning. Who the prayer is addressed to? God the Father. And then comes the first petition. The very first prayer concern of our Lord Jesus Christ. After clearly establishing the identity of the one to whom he prays and to whom we should pray, he immediately expresses his top prayer concern. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means to set apart, to honor and revere as holy. Jesus Christ wanted God's name to be reverenced and honored and used only in a manner that would bring God glory. Do we dare doubt how Jesus felt about the third commandment? Do we dare doubt how serious God regards how we use his name. You need to think about that. You probably need to pray about it. Take a moment to do that, and then I'll close. And we'll close with the Lord's Prayer as well. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you have spoken to us by your Son. Open our eyes that we might see our sin and then see our Savior.
Teach us the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. O oh Lord, we confess to you the ease with which we go through the motions and take your name on our lips while our hearts are cold and dull and our minds are anywhere but here. Turn in any direction but towards you. Have mercy on us. Thank you that Jesus has come bearing your name, reaching out to us, dying for us, that sinners like us can become children of God. Would you, for Christ's sake, have mercy as together now, maybe for the first time, we bend our knees and confess with more than our lips, but with the surrender of our lives, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please join with me in closing with the Lord's Prayer, which is up on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.